Shooter ready. Stand by. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode three. And first and foremost, I just want to say today is March 29th and we are at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, myself and my family, we're definitely in isolation, and we just hope everybody out there is taking care of themselves. Um, take it seriously and uh, just keep your family safe. On today's episode, our special guest is Charlie. Charlie is a bona fide badass, and um, you know we really look forward to having him on the on the podcast. And uh, I really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. So enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 3 of the Blue Green Alliance podcast. Uh, it's Josh here along with Gabe and our special guest today, Charlie. Charlie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, uh, yeah, my name's Charlie. Um, joined the Marine Corps in 99 after graduating from high school in 98. Did about a year of community college before that. Uh, did my four years active duty in the infantry. Um, got out of the Marine Corps. Um, joined the police department here in the state of Arizona. Uh, and I've been doing that since 2003. I also stayed reserves uh, with the Marine Corps during that time. So right now I'm looking at about 17 years uh, on the police department and 21 years combined active duty and reserve uh, for the Marine Corps. Did uh, about nine plus years on patrol before moving to our unit SWAT team. And I've been on the uh, SWAT team for our agency for about seven years now. Um, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Charlie, thanks again, man, for, uh, for coming on the podcast. So, uh, yeah. So Gabe, uh, tell us a little bit about how you and Charlie know each other. Yeah, so Charlie does his reserve time with my unit as well. So we bumped into each other about 18 months ago when he first showed up to his drill time while we were running our course. Uh, did a quick introduction, and then we've also done some like bilateral training out in his city as well. So it was pretty easy to start building that relationship and that repertoire with, with Charlie and with his guys and with our unit as well. Awesome. Charlie, how you been liking um... – like with your reserve time working with the uh, with the guys over there, yeah, man, it's a it's a huge uh, benefit to me. I'm lucky to be where I'm at. Um, it's not often, uh, at least in the reserves, to have uh, that type of affiliation uh, with a group of individuals who are like minded, um, who kind of share some of the same responsibilities that I do on the civilian side. So the translation uh, between the two uh, components is not only great for um you know of course training um but just the guys in general again I'm, I'm just lucky to be there it's been an awesome experience this far yeah and obviously that's that's where uh, me and you met it was really cool getting to meet you um having you know having that experience uh getting to shoot with you um so tell us a little bit about what it's like uh being being in SWAT right now in Arizona um whatever you can tell us just you know, I know I'm super interested in, in, you know, the police department, obviously having Blue Green Alliance, you know, we, we pride ourselves in, in working hand in hand with uh, getting police departments better. Just what's it what's it like for a day in the life uh, of you right now? Yeah, man. Um, so I work for a, uh, a 
large agency in the state. Um, so we're a large metropolitan uh, city SWAT team. So we're rather busy. Um, and with that comes a lot of uh, responsibilities and um, commitment. Um, of course, with any unit, you're going to have that level of commitment and training um, and expectations. But I think what kind of makes things a little more challenging with a larger city is that, you know, uh, unlike my time in the Marine Corps where, you know, we deployed – uh, I'm sorry, we trained, we did a workup for deployment, uh, and our team here, it's, hey, you made the units, and we are operational, like, immediately. And during those operational periods, which is, you know, infinite, we don't stop, you try to fit in training uh, in between your assignments and your missions and operations and things of that nature. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a flip between the military life and the SWAT life, although the roles, the jobs themselves are very similar. Uh, so I will tell you, because we're a large city, it is extremely challenging to keep up with our training standards and to meet the needs of the city and the details that utilize us. Um, and again, so it's a, it's a very fortunate thing to be part of a unit that is actually tasked with a lot of work. Uh, but sometimes it's also like, all right, you know, we need to dial back in and make sure that we're we're addressing our own individual skill sets and team skill sets because that can easily uh, get thrown wayside when you're trying to keep up with tempo. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, too, your training opportunities are very limited. You have a very small window. So I feel like you guys really need to maximize the training time that you do have. What what are you guys doing in that, you know, the short periods of time that you do have to get whether it be unit cohesion or SOPs established or things like that? Yeah, so uh, another thing that we we do a little bit differently than um, I'd say the military side is that we are responsible for our own programs. So the guys on the team, on the squad, in the unit, we're all tasked out with different programs that keep our unit um, up and running. Uh, without us, you know, doing the homework uh, looking into new tactics, techniques, and equipment and gear, we would remain stagnant. So in order to keep up with that, what we do is uh, we break those responsibilities out throughout the team. And, of course, there are multiple people that help with these individual programs. And we just basically have a training calendar that we utilize to try to fit in training where there's, where there's uh, availability and opening. And, of course, you schedule that training, and you're expected to attend that training and maintain those standards, but you don't know what's going to come out on the radio just prior to that um, to that training session, right? So we could have a carbine, handgun shoot, or some CQB training, and next thing you know, hey, scratch that. We've got to go deal with this barricade. There's a guy with a, with a gun inside, and he's not coming out, you know, something like that. So we have to get creative. Uh, we are constantly – revising and editing the training calendar. We're constantly having to, um, you know, schedule makeup sessions for, for events that we've missed, but we do a pretty good job of staying on top of it. You know, we, uh, we are also very good about uh, being competitive with one, with one another, uh, not just on the individual, uh, you know, officer to officer, but squad to squad. So, there's a little bit of friendly competitiveness in there that allows us to say, hey, let's get this training done. Let's knock it out, um, you know, because we don't want to fall behind. We don't want to be uh, the squad that doesn't get the training done. Does that make sense, you know? 
Yeah. So let me ask, um, you know, I think this is a big issue that I have seen in police departments that we have worked with that um, obviously not the specialized units, but just the regular departments and even the sergeants we talk to on a regular basis talk about how the 90-10 rule and, and uh, for the listeners like in the Marine Corps or like the <clears throat> force recon community, we talk about, you know, 90% of the guys want to be there. They want to put out, they want to better themselves. And it's, you always have that bottom 10%. Everybody's always got the bottom 10%. And unfortunately I feel like in the, be- in the regular police departments, it's like flip-flopped. I get told that a lot that it's like, there's 10% of guys that want to go out there and get better and pursue their careers better. And then the other 90% are just collected a paycheck or, or whatever else. Like I obviously at specialized units like you guys, that that's not an issue, but, but do you still see that as a problem, whether it be with you guys or, or in the police departments that, that you're surrounded by? Yeah, man, of course you see it. Like um, people's intentions and expectations of the job are not always what you think they are. For the most part, I think we do a pretty good job. Uh, the people that I've worked with, they want to be there. You know, they're doing it for the right reasons. But like with any organization, you have those like, you describe it just there to collect a paycheck. You know, what, what can the organization do for me? Um, luckily, in my unit, we don't really experience that, which is why uh, it is a, a, a privilege to be there, you know, because you're working alongside guys that, again, share the same mindset and, and want to be there and want to make um, their programs and their unit the best that we possibly can, and we feed off that. Like, it, it makes us not really pay attention to everything else that's going on because we're too busy trying to make our stuff better. So yeah, we, we see it. Um, I work for a pretty decent agency, so I don't, I don't personally experience a lot of it, but I know it does exist. It is, it is something. Yeah. Did you deal with it when you were on the streets? I mean, I see here, like you said, you know, nine years on this, on the streets. I mean, how, how was it being just like a basic cop? Yeah, of course, man. You have the guys that are out there rocking and rolling that are eager to, to get to work and, and hunt bad guys, and there are others that are like, "Hey, man, that's that's cool, but I'm just gonna just gonna answer the radio uh, and just kind of do the bare minimum." And really, um, it's really hard to enforce uh, that that mindset amongst the general population. You either have it or you don't, and you know. The police department's a little different uh, as opposed to the military where you, know, you kind of, at least in the Marine Corps, if you're not performing, you're going to hear it heavily uh, from your peers, uh, definitely from your superiors, um, and with a little lighter um, disciplinary, I say, expectations in the police department, it's not going to be as aggressive in, in as you would expect in the Marine Corps, at least my personal experience. So yeah, we deal with it. Yeah. We get around, we get around that just by doing our job. And to be honest, you're not going to pair up or work alongside with guys that aren't like-minded. So you'll find the guys that are eager um, to work and eager to put out and you just, Hey, you just do your own thing, make it happen. Yeah, I agree. We're talking about is 100%. Like you have the guys that are showing up, even in the DOD, like in in our community and other communities where they're showing up, they're getting a paycheck, and they're going home. The 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 mindset to be the best or to try to be better than your peers or bring your peers up, I think, is something that's getting lost 
Uh, I think that's – I don't really know what's causing that. But, you know, obviously you see it in the police department, and, and we see it over here with the Marines pretty regularly. But, you know, you brought up where, hey, you know, you have this, this planning trained – this training planned, and, you know, it gets cut short or it – gets turned off because you get to recall to you have to get called to a situation so you've seen a little bit of our program right i have i have and so like getting the condensed version of the program and then you know, obviously talking with us when you're coming out and doing reserve time with our unit what do you what do you think of the program that we host as far as in regards to the applicability of taking that to police departments and its effectiveness so i've attended um I want to say a lot, but quite a bit of different shooting packages um, throughout my time on the department um, and on the unit. So I've seen kind of a, a myriad of different uh, different training programs, shooting programs, and they're all awesome. They've all made myself and my peers better. Um, and again, you address uh, the time restraints and how your program, how that looks for uh officers who are under the gun for time i'd say there was a huge benefit to it uh, definitely new to me uh, having sat through uh the program it's obviously a different method of teaching but one of the biggest takeaways um i got from that was as an instructor myself uh understanding that uh, some of that layered training that you talked about and kind of implemented kind of put things into perspective for me like well <clears throat> that could actually help um with time reduction or at least time restraints when we're training guys to shoot especially in our line of work so i think there was a huge benefit there it definitely was something new newer to me um so without getting into the program too deep i would say yeah there, there was there was some added benefit to it yeah, awesome. We appreciate that. You know, you've, you've seen the program and you're able to say that it does have, you know, the benefit and applicability for police departments. I think what Josh and I have seen, uh, you know, with you and some of your guys and then some of the Marines coming through and everyone else is just see the, the increase in confidence and the ability to use the weapons for lethality. So I think the difference, though, for police departments really is, is y'all have a lot different rules of engagement than us, you know. For the Marines in a combat zone, you know, see a gun, you put someone down. For y'all, it's there's a lot more steps. Like you're operating a radio, you're calling things in, you're using verbal commands. Like a real escalation of force that you have to go through all those steps because you know if you pull that trigger to save your own life, there's still going to be massive scrutiny on the backside of that. So the last thing that we want, yeah, and the last thing we want an officer to have to do is to think about how to operate his weapon system. Like we want that to be just a second nature thing, so he can focus on everything else. Correct. Yeah, and and we're starting to do that a lot more too. Uh, implementing those uh, decision making, we've always done it, but now more so than ever, um, it's imperative that you know we're pretty thorough on our decision making process um, because, like you said, uh, my perspective on um, a threat while might be extremely valid you know there there are people in the department and of course the public that have their views of things and how it should have ended or 
uh, what other additional measures we should have taken. So, yeah, for sure, uh, those things are on our minds heavily. Um, Intel is a huge driving factor in our decision-making, obviously what we see uh, at that moment. But the practice and the constant um, conditioning of all those factors in our training uh, is extremely critical. And you hit on a few of them. Radio traffic alone is a big one. Um, you know, you have responsibility of a lot of things uh, during a lot of these scenarios that people don't really understand. Uh, it's hard to explain. It's not just cut and dry. It's not, you know, just black and white all the time. There are some other factors we have to consider. So I completely understand what you're getting at. Yeah, I was uh, fortunate to see a video about a month ago of uh, an officer here in California that had was responding to an incident in uh, some area in L.A., uh, goes ahead, he pulls out his pistol, he engages a threat, and on his helmet cam or his body cam, whatever it was, his Beretta is out of battery. His Beretta is out of battery for a solid 10 seconds before he realizes it, puts it back into battery, and then the rest of the engagement continues. <clears throat> but so for this individual, like he's one, he's on a bike and he's on a bike, he's answering calls, he's dealing with all of that. He engages and then does understand that his only his only source of self-defense for himself and those in that suburban like subdivision area is useless at that time. So I think like really with our program and understanding like, you know, Justin talked about a little bit with the last podcast and the conversations we've had, the tactical neuroscience is, you know, you have your primary and your secondary tasks. And for you as police officers, you have a lot of tasks to accomplish. So once something becomes basically stress saturated, it's not a secondary task anymore, it becomes a primary. So in our program is getting all of your manipulations, everything you're doing with that, with that firearm to a secondary level that will never become a task saturated. You will always be able to manipulate it, you'll be able to draw it, you'll be able to reload, you'll be able to see malfunctions and clear them. So you can focus on, hey, what's going on in front of me and how do I save the day? Charlie, I want to ask you, and you know, I don't want this, uh, Gabe brought up a great example that made me think about this and I don't want this to sound like, you know, we're shitting on cops and their training by any means, but like I personally know that, and I think you, you could agree that most departments at the lower level for just the regular beat street cops, they just don't provide them the training that they need. They don't want to put out the funds. They'd rather do payouts every year instead of, you know, getting the guys, you know, training that they need to be successful. And I hate to see it cause I see it over and over and over again from news stories um, all the time where you see, yeah, 60 shots fired by six officers and no fatalities. And you're like, you know, maybe that sounds good to a civilian because they're like, oh, good, nobody died. But when I hear that, I just I just see complete incompetence with a weapon system. And, you know, how do from the police department's perspective, how do we attack that problem where we can still, you know, get these guys the training that they need? I mean, and, and, and make them successful on the job, you know? Yeah, that, that's always been um, a point of contention. I think it always will be in our line of work. We we always strive and always request and hope that we get more training, more ammo. Um, but it's really not up to us. Uh, it would be nice if those averages were higher. I don't really track the averages for, for the country or other agencies. Um, 
I'm more concerned kind of internally how we perform, but I understand like as just a police officer in this country and in this state, that's always been a discussion. Like if they would just allow us more training time or what if we had this program or what if we did more of this and what about if we just as a squad, we did this training and, and, you know, that always comes up. And of course, uh, the primary focus is always our jobs first and that training, um, is secondary. Uh, and it's, it's a double-edged sword sometimes, man. It's just something we've always had to combat. And again, if it's not for my unit specifically, if we don't make that happen, um, everybody in the unit, it, it would probably put, put wayside. And we understand how important that is. We understand that you have to make that a priority, which is why uh, we do so. So yeah, to your, to your argument, for sure. Those numbers are always, always difficult to hear, you know, especially as a cop. So, so with what, what's it like being a cop in today's, you know, being a, a cop in 2020, it just, you know, I, we see a lot of, um, you know, how the public maybe perceives, you know, law enforcement right now. Like, just tell us firsthand from your experience, like, just what's it like in, for you right now? Yeah, so I, I'm not, I don't consider myself uh, like an old timer. Like I've been around this agency for, you know, 16, 17 years. So I've seen a little bit of change over time. Um, so I don't want to sound like that guy, like back in my day, this is how we did it. But I can say, Working the street. Um, for that's about exactly a what you are. That's exactly that's exactly what you are. What do you consider an old timer, Charlie? I can't. I can't hear you. What do you say? What do you What do you consider an old timer? I mean, seventeen years. There are guys I that that's... I work with that have been like a junior. I've been doing this for thirty years. You don't know what it was like, so I don't want to discredit those dudes. You know. <laughs> that, let me guess. Gabe is over there calling me old again. <laughs> I'm just. Do y'all compare your ARP cards or like your version of life support to each other? Uh, what an asshole! Sorry, 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 So, right, not to, not to talk about the always, but go ahead, talk about the always. For right, me. let's talk about the always. So, doing things um, back then, there was less. I'd say way less. Um, cell phone use, at least when I first came on. Nowadays, it seems like every incident, someone whips out a phone and you're on camera all the time. And it's one of those things where it's like, man, you know, these guys out there, especially in patrol, I haven't been on patrol for about seven years, um, but I still see it, you know, they're constantly under the, under the microscope of the public um, and every decision is is monitored, which this day and age, you just have to expect it. Body cams, surveillance cameras, people's phones, everything. You just have to expect someone's going to be recording. So we shouldn't really, shouldn't really change how you do police work. But there is an element of, man, it's, uh, it's just a different time. Definitely a different time. Yeah. And then, I mean, what, what about just like the, the, the public's perspective of you guys? I mean, do you get a lot of hate? Do you see it no. a lot where, you know, out? No, man. Like I, I see the news and I see agencies that are going through that, you know, and luckily where I work, we don't deal with that too much. I don't really experience, uh, the bashing of, of police officers or, you know, the hatred or anything like that. Um, 
maybe I'm naive, but I, I just don't see it like I've seen nationally, which thank goodness I, I don't live in a, in a state or city that experiences that, especially as a police officer, but we don't experience much of it. There are those out there that have their opinions. They say what they say and, you know, just it is what it is and just drive on. Uh, but no, personally speaking, my experience, I don't, I don't operate in the city where it's, we're hated on all the time. You know, everyone loves a fireman, uh, and hates a cop or something they always say, but we don't, we don't really experience the hatred like that I've seen in some, some news coverage. But again, that's the media. Who knows what that really is like over there too, you know? Yeah, well, I think we can all agree too that Arizona is just God's country, and uh, everything's better in Arizona. So, <laughs> yeah, I enjoy it. Um, I, I really, I really have no complaints, man. So, t- uh, you know, tell us just a little bit, you know, before we start wrapping this up, tell us a little bit about um, just your time in, in in the Marine Corps too, and and um, maybe some of the things you've done, what you what you've been able to take away from that, and um, as far as whether it be. Um, experience in the infantry and how that helped you maybe uh, in the civilian world. Yeah. So I did my four years um, with two, three, uh, loved it. Uh, I proudly admit I was a motivator. Uh, you know, the jokes were made, you're a lifer, you're going to go me sap. Uh, I ended up getting out, not bitter at all. I just knew that I wanted to do something else. I knew that, um, I wanted to be a SWAT cop. So um, that, however, really shaped um, my future in the Marine Corps, big time. Um, interviewing for the department, preparing for the department. You know, I took a lot of what I learned leadership-wise and training from the Marine Corps. I brought that over and kind of put it in my my inventory of tools, and it served me well. Uh, you know, as you know, being a Marine, you hold yourself to a higher standard and you kind of tackle things with that same mindset. And that's what I did going in a, into the police department. Lucky for me, um, when I thought that I was out, you know, I got out as a sergeant in my four years, like, hey, I'm done. I'm a brand new cop in my precinct, um, ready to put the Marine Corps behind me. Just so happened uh, the Marine Corps reaches out and touches you everywhere. Uh, little did I know there was a lot of Marines in the police department. One of them was a um, lieutenant in my uh, precinct who was also a gunnery sergeant at the time on the reserve side. So once word was out that there was a new Marine just joined the precinct, I was instructed to go see this individual. And right away it was... You know, you get vetted. Who are you with? What did you do? What did you get out of it? Like, tell me about yourself. Yeah, did that old thing, and it's like, hey, what are your what's your plans for the future in the Marine Corps? He's like, I have none. I'm done. He's like, no, you're not. You're uh, you signed an eight year contract, so you have four years in active service. Uh, what you're gonna do is you're gonna jump online. You're gonna finish Marine Net courses. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do that. We're gonna get you sat years. Once you get your feet wet in the police department, you, minute you finish uh, probation, you're going to stay in the reserves. Uh, you'll thank me later. So being a new cop and being uh, Sergeant Marine Corps 
answering to a gunnery sergeant, you just say, Roger that. I guess that's what I'm doing. Um, thankfully, I did. And here I am uh, 21 years later. So I say that um, because guys always ask me, especially as a reserve, I get to interact with the active duty components all the time. And they're always questioning, uh, hey, what's it like, you know? I want to do that. I want to be a SWAT cop. This, that, and the other thing. I'm done with the Marine Corps. It's like, yeah, that's cool, man. Like, if you're sure you're done, you're done. But remember, you signed a contract that's eight years. There's nothing wrong with with uh, finishing those eight years with sat years in the books uh, just as insurance. You never know what happens out here. You may not like it. You know, things might not work out. You might want to go back and having that option. It's like insurance. It's, it's a great great opportunity um, so that's a kind of a hidden secret that typically your, your monitor might not tell you like at least when I got out of the Marine Corps it was like oh you don't want to re-enlist I see you I get out of here you know um, so I like to like to educate guys on their options even if they know they're done with the service hey man it's, it's a great opportunity and uh, you learn a lot, and I've taken a lot of a lot of leadership things from the Marine Corps. A lot of things I've learned from guys, even on my current uh, assignment as a reservist. Now, man, I'm I'm always all ears open. Like, hey, what's going on? Like, how are you guys doing business? Wow, that might work for us. That's going to help me out, help my team out. Or, hey, that's cool, but it doesn't apply to what we do. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely huge benefit. It's taking me pretty far my personal opinion yeah so then right now so you already kind of hit it is there any advice you would give to you know marines that are looking to eas in the next you know six months 12 months 18 months and they're looking at becoming a cop like they're like hey i want to do swat and what would give them the edge or the step up to be able to transition effectively from the military world to a police department? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the biggest thing that I hear and see from prior service, whether it be Marines, Army, is always like, hey, what if I could just get to the police department and with my skill set, I can just walk on a SWAT team, right? And the answer is no. You know, um, it's absolutely no. It's going to help you. Your skill set. And your your experience is going to speak for itself when you get there. Just understand, um, when you become a cop, you're a new guy all over again. So you kind of have to prove yourself one more time. Is it a little irritating um, getting out of the Marine Corps and having to do that all over again? Sure. It's not quite as difficult as being a new guy in the service as it is being a new guy on a department. Treat it a little bit differently. But you're going to be recognized quickly for your work ethic and the skills and experience that you bring to the table. So I would tell any guy who's looking, guy or gal, looking to become a cop and wants to pursue the SWAT thing, get to where you need to get, get hired, and just work. You know, you are your resume. People are going to recognize that. And... Typically what happens is that unit will start recognizing you and they'll maybe seek you out. Um, or that individual supervisor will be like, Hey, you know what? 
you come with a myriad of skills and a maturity, I recommend you go do a temporary assignment with our with your SWAT team. See what you think. I think you would fit that that role very well. So, end state, don't come over with the expectation that because you are a uh, super experienced gunfighter and then you got it all put together that you're going to walk onto a team. That's just not how it works. Just do you. Do what you did to be successful in the service, and that's going to happen when you come over to the police department. Just do you, and it'll happen. That's where you want to go. Well, Charlie, I just want to say um, thanks again, man, for, for taking the time just to talk about, you know, who you are, what, what you what you've done, what you've experienced to kind of give uh, give other people a little bit of guidance to maybe being successful, not only in the Marine Corps, but, but um, you know, in law enforcement. Uh, you know, personally, I just want to say thanks for everything that you have done and continue to do. Um, you know, you've always been somebody that we look to as a pretty awesome badass. I'll, I'll, I'm not scared to say it. And, um, yeah, man, we just really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, to come on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys having me. Uh, definitely an honor and uh, awesome, awesome being able to uh, collaborate with you both. So thank you. Appreciate it. Well, uh, we'll see you next time. All right. We appreciate uh, everybody listening to the podcast and um, hope you tune into the next one. All right. Thanks, guys.